1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Intuitive Revolution in Business. This week is book review. We are reviewing a book called The One Thing by Gary Keller with Jay Paperson. The surprising truth, simple truth behind extraordinary, extra, I can't say the word, extraordinary results. So the book is separated in three parts. The first part, they talk about the lies that we have been the second is about the truth, uh, and the third about extraordinary results. So let's go. I've taken quite a lot of notes about this book. I have found it interesting, and I want to say before I get started, well, first, I have a special announcement. So if you're not in my Facebook group or on my uh, email list, you might have missed the fact that I am running a five-day challenge starting on the 20th. So starting next Monday, uh, called Tarot for Business. It's free. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. It's the first time I've ever run this this challenge. But it sort of rekindled me with my passion for tarot, which is the one thing that got me on my spiritual path, I suppose, if you can call it this way, after I branched out from my 15-year career as a mergers and acquisition lawyer. So this week in my free group, and I will include the um, the link to my free group in um, the description box under this this um, podcast in your app, um, I will be doing a Facebook Live um, probably around 7 or 8 p.m. every day uh, around the team of, of Tarot. So if you have any questions about what Tarot is um, – or how it can be used. Um, my first Facebook Live today is going to be about the question that was asked by one of our members is um, about the tarot being evil. And I think it's an interesting uh, question or at least a reflection because um, of course the tarot has been depicted as evil for many, many, um, I would say <laughs> hundreds of years, but I would say even, even thousands of years. Um, So, I will answer this question in a Facebook Live. If you haven't joined our community yet, please um, click on the link in the notes and join us. Um, Do it earlier than rather than later because uh, we don't approve members uh, immediately. Uh, Sometimes we batch things, uh, but I'd love for you to be in the group. And in any case, all the replays of all the Facebook clients will be in the group. There is a specific tab in the guides for Tarot. Right. So the whole premise of this book uh, is that if you focus on one thing and one thing only, you get extraordinary results. And that's something that would have completely grated me only 10 years ago when I started my business, because I thought I could do all the things and I could do so many different things. And it was really, really hard for me to choose. And I suppose it's a bit similar to when um, Especially when you run an online business, everybody tells you to niche in order to have more traction and to attract clients better to your product rather than someone else's or your services rather than someone else's. And niching is something that a lot of people um, re- resist a lot. So it's it's a little bit the same concept, but it goes further than that because it's almost like like I know. Uh, that of all the things that I could do, I have now focused exclusively on intuition in business. That is my one thing. That's the one thing I want to be learned. Um, I want to be um, known for. I want to be known as the intuition lady in business. And it takes time to build that one thing. But once you get to that point, I suppose, of expert status, then um, you can always add on other things that you do. Like I know that in my epic framework. I teach my clients about energy and about prosperity and a lot of uh, mindset. But my main piece is the intuition piece. So um, the the book starts by saying that extraordinary success is sequential and needs one thing at a time. So um, they quote, the authors quote Google, uh, which is known mostly for the search. AFC for Chicken Recipes, Star Wars for their films, and then only their merch. And um, so even though um, the answer to what is our one thing is not necessarily clear, it doesn't mean that finding it is less important, okay? And in a way, it can be a succession of one thing. And then they, they quote Apple that started first with the Macs, then the iMac, then iTunes, then iPod, then iPhones. But it was always one thing all along. Um, right, so there's a lot of lies that have been bounded about and, and the author uh, hones down on six lies that comes between you and your success. So the six lies are everything matters equally, multitasking, a disciplined life, willpower is always on will call, a
2: balanced life and big is bad. So let's um, look at all of these one by one. Uh, So the first one, everything matters equally. And um,
1: the the author says that actually, this is a lie, equality is a lie. Um, And that you need to decide what to focus on um, because success is not a game that is won by the one who does the most but by the one who does the thing that is the most effective. So it's all about not having a to-do list and and I can vouch for that because I used to be busy but not efficient and I actually work now much less but um, with a lot more focus. they talk about, you know, um, the Pareto principle, which you've probably heard about, which is that 20% of what you do get you 80% of your results. And that's what you want to focus on so that you have a clear sense of priorities. And so they um, discourage people from having to-do lists and, and, and instead uh, creating success lists that are short, focused, and have a sense of direction. And in a nutshell, they say that achievers have an eye for the essential. And I would kind of agree with that. Um, It's
2: important to know what's important so that you can focus on it. Now, at the end of that little um, section on, on that principle that not everything
1: is equal, they have a really interesting uh, exercise where they show that if you have 25 things on your to-do list and you apply the Pareto principle of the 20%, you reduce it to five, and then you apply 20% again, you can reduce it to one. So really, you only need to pursue one idea out of 100. Now, I wanna chip in with a little bit of my personal experience with intuition, because at one point, I allowed my intuition to literally shower me with ideas until to the point where not only did I get overwhelmed, but my clients got overwhelmed as well. And I think there was a lesson in it of them, um, my intuition and my guides. I don't talk about my guides very often, but they are a very big part of my, my business. Not that I, the, the reason why I don't talk about them a lot is first because my ideal listener, and tell me if you recognize yourself in it, um, is not, uh, you know, far on their spiritual journey or on their intuition journey and so the concept of guide is a little bit maybe a little bit too far um too far out just like it was for me when i started i I still remember one of the first readings i had after i moved to the uk in 2001 where um a a lady was telling a psychic meeting told me about one of my spirit guides and i was like this is too much i don't want to hear about this Um, so um so, it, you know, we don't have to talk about guides, but I do work with guides and I'm not going to hide away from it, okay? This is something that I do. However, the way that I uh, work with guides may be differently than other people is because I don't see and I don't hear most of the time. Uh, at least I do in my physical senses, but not in my psychic senses. Mine is more a sense of knowing. I don't usually ask who sent me the information because I don't care. I naturally assume that the best guide will turn up with the right information. And so I don't kind of clutter my mind with, oh, who's been saying that to me? Because I just trust that it's the right person for the highest good of everyone and that everything you know, um, unfolds perfectly. So, But I know that at one point, uh, and I can't even remember, I can't pinpoint, I think it might have been at the start of 2020, but I'm, I wouldn't put my hand... Um, on it in the sense that I'm not, an, I'm not very good with time frames. I was chasing so many different things and I got completely confused. And I got even you know, angry at my guides for confusing my clients. But it was a lesson in being discerning on what I allow through, whether it's through my intuition or my guides, whatever you want to call it, and to be discerning. So it's good, even though you can be inspired by your intuition with many, many, many different ideas It's still important for you to have a sense of direction and to be the one that is directing your intuition, if that makes sense. So second lie is multitasking. So um, they quote a professor from the Stanford University that did research on um, 262 multitaskers and they found out that people who focus on one task at a time are uh, incredibly more uh, efficient than the one that multitask because it always takes time to switch from one task to the other. So they come to the conclusion that there's no such thing as a multitasking. And it's kind of funny because it is a myth. Everybody talks about multitasking. And I know for my part that I find it, I find it quite hard to multitask. If someone interrupts me when I'm doing a task, I'll probably forget everything that I was doing. So um, the the book highlights how multitasking costs us a lot of time and effectiveness, Uh, it creates a lot of loose ends, and it can can increase our workloads by 28% because um, we probably underestimate how long it takes to complete a task. And uh, it also highlights from that study that multitaskers make many more mistakes than the non-multitaskers. So perhaps if you're a multitasker, it's time for you to review what you're doing and look at things in a different way. Third lie is a disciplined life. And I I love that one because it actually ties into the book that I reviewed on the podcast um, only um, a month or two ago by uh, Gretchen Rubin called um, Better Than Before, which is about setting up habits. And they say that actually effective people and successful people do not need a more, um, you know, do not lead a more disciplined life than others. What they do, however, is that they
2: choose habits that they set up. And once the habit, uh, once the habit is set up, then
1: it kind of feeds itself, it kind of continues, and I can vouch for that because I started the habit of having a green smoothie Monday to Friday and running three times a week back in February. And the setting up of the habits and deciding when it was going to happen and the framework and everything took a little bit of tweaking. But once it was in place, it's almost like now my mind just tells me, "Okay, I go running Tuesday, Thursday and Sunday. And that's the first thing I think when I wake up in the morning. I go for my run first thing in the morning. Um, So success it's about doing the right thing, not doing everything. So you need to kind of choose the right habit. And then once the habit is created, um, and and they reminded us, which is I think in Gretchen Rubin's book as well, that it takes an average of 66 days to establish a habit. So I'm happy to say that my running habits and my green smoothie habits are pretty established. Although we know, that when crisis hits, sometimes these habits fall through the cracks, and we revert back to our old habits. But um, it's always going, it's always, it's always possible to get back on the bandwagon, if that makes any sense. So people who are successful, and of course, success can mean different things to different people. And I always say that my tagline is, "I'm here to support you, create success on your terms." So think about what success means to you, but also remember that success rests on the base, on the foundations of a
2: simplified life, okay? Uh, A life that requires very little effort to maintain. Interestingly enough, apparently, once you establish one
1: good habit, all the other habits seem to fall into place um, other good habits or bad habits fall out of your um, um, of your life without even thinking about it. Uh, and the reason is is that there's this sort of halo effect uh, that's been highlighted by research, where uh, once you establish establish one good habit, you're less stressed, you're less likely to do impulsive spending. Uh, you decrease, I mean, this was among students, they decreased their alcohol intake, their tobacco intake, their caffeine intake. They had fewer hours watching TV and left fewer dirty dishes in their kitchen. Now, I don't know how this is all built together, but apparently it is. So don't think you have to sort out all your habits at once. I think if you sort one, the most important one, there could be a halo effect and then everything else can fall into place. I found that really interesting. Lie number four, willpower is always on will call. Now, I'm not too sure what this expression means. I struggled a little bit, but I'll explain what the the little chapter said about it. So when we tie our success to our willpower, we tie it to something that's not reliable. Because willpower, and I can vouch for that, I'm, I'm probably sure you will agree with me that we have a lot of willpower at the start of the day. And then it's almost like, You know the spoons Some people talk about how many spoons you have and by the end of the day you don't have any spoons left i think it's a little bit the same so suppose you were living in a in a house and i actually do uh, with people who eat very unhealthily Uh, you could resist their offer of a cake uh, for breakfast which is exactly what my son did today Uh, but then if it was offered to you throughout the day there's only so much willpower that, that, that you, um, you, you have. So by the end of the day, you'll finally say yes. You'll give in because you've used all your willpower along the way. So um, I think it's important to remember that we don't want to tie our success to our willpower. So um, what, what the author talks about is how timing is of essence. So, if if you start your day with a full charge of willpower, and it's gone by the end uh, the end of the day, then you need to you need to actually plan the things that you want to do that requires the most willpower at the start of the day. So they're done, tested, and then you can move on. And I think that actually speaks for. Making sure that your one thing that you want to do, and I think that's where he's heading for at, at this, in this paragraph, in this chapter.
2: But let me um, just turn the pages to my, my notes. And um, then he goes on through the
1: list of uh, how many things tax our willpower. And there's, a, there's kind of a long list that I want to go through implementing new behaviors, filtering distractions, resisting temptations, suppressing emotions, restraining aggression, uh, taking tests, trying to impress others, coping with fear, doing something you don't enjoy, and selecting long-term over short-term rewards. All that takes willpower, so uh, this actually speaks to uh, the habit of doing the important work, one, the one thing, first thing in the morning, so that it's in, it's there, you've done it, and after that, the rest of the day is yours. Line number five, a balanced life. So the author challenges that there's anything such a thing as balance. So that wasn't very good English, but I'm not going to do it again. So back balance is, for him, a verb. It's something that you do, Uh, again and again and again. It's not something that you can do once and then it's done. And what his theory is, is yeah, you're almost always out of balance because you can't multitask. So if you focus on one thing, then you're not focusing on another. Um, When you focus on one thing, it always means that you take away from another thing. And the problem, and I found that really interesting, he highlights that the problem is if you live in the middle you will never do anything extraordinary. So, doing extraordinary things requires you to get out of balance, but not far enough that it wrecks your life. So, it's it's really interesting. Uh, they even offer a graph that shows how you know regular balance can be, and then balance who wants for people who want to do extraordinary things and how to um, to move along and. It's, it's, it looks like it needs a lot of course correction along the way. So you can have a short-term goal, and um, maybe you, like, except, for example, if you were writing a book, you might be out of balance with regards to your family or your business, and that's what happened to me last year when I decided to write and promote my book. I neglected a little bit one-to-one work, and so my income dipped, and that's, that's absolutely normal. That's why very often when people do launches, when they write books, they kind of save up a lot of money ahead of time so that it can tie them over with this one thing that they might want to focus on. The same thing happened when I launched my podcast. Um, So they say that it's not balanced as much as counterbalancing constantly and and checking in with what feels right and and, uh, whether you are still in check, okay? So the idea of counterbalance is that you never go so far that you can't find your way back. It's always, it, it feels like a pendulum, really. Um, and then, well, I mean, it's quite complex. I would really encourage you to read the book anyway and uh, to find out more about, um, you know, um, that, well, I'm, I'm using balance, but he says balance doesn't exist. I suppose that juggling act. And he says there's five main balls that you, um, that you juggle at all times, four of them being glass balls, that means you you shouldn't drop them at all, ever, and one of them that you can drop. And interestingly enough, it's the work stroke business ball that is made of rubber that you can drop. Health, friends, family, and integrity are the four other balls that he describes that mustn't be dropped at any point. And it does make sense. All right, line number six, big is bad. Um, I think what he wants is to address the idea that very often we are scared by the idea of big. We feel that big is hard, complicated, time-consuming, and overwhelming. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, He also wants us to encourage to look at the fact that we don't know what our ultimate ceiling of achievement is. And so, um, in other words, our upper limit, and it's important to push past because we don't know how much we can cope with until we actually do it. So even though it can be intimidating, and even though there is, there is actually a megaphobia, an, an irrational fear
2: of big, I, I really agree with him. I can dash for the fact that I've kept myself small for a very long
1: time. and probably still do to a certain extent because I'm, I'm concerned about, am I going to be able to manage a bigger business without neglecting my, my four glass balls? But, and that's really, really important, we need to think big. Because if you don't think big, then nothing's ever going to change. Does that make sense?
2: And big is about who you can become. All right, so the other thing that um, he talks about in that particular paragraph
1: is how, um, hang on a minute. Yes, yeah, that's, that's the last one, big is bad. Um, is... Understanding the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset is someone who is arguing for their limitations, whereas a growth mindset is someone who is um, able to think big, big and act bold, okay, and who don't fear failure. Now, I think my, my career, so to speak, as a writer has, has helped me to cope with that because I've had so many rejection letters from literary agents and from publishers that it's enabled me to think okay that doesn't mean anything maybe the timing is not right or maybe the book is not right and then just regroup and then um, go back to my, my writing and, and assess what I'm going to do next. Now this has taught me something that a lot of entrepreneurs have had to manage on a regular basis and that's that's where probably the mindset of an entrepreneur is so different from the mindset of an employee. When you're an employee most of the time unless your employer is particularly progressive um, you will be judged by your mistakes and you don't you're not allowed to make that many mistakes and mistakes are considered to be a bad thing. Um, Whereas when you're an entrepreneur they're almost inevitable. So it's important to be able to embrace them. And I've, I've recently discovered a podcast. Let me just check on my phone if I can give you the title. I have listened to only the, the initial episodes, so I'm not going to say too much about it yet. But it's called Fail Forward, and it explains why the only time that failure is an issue is when you don't learn something from it. And as an entrepreneur, you, you always learn from your mistakes. Right, so now we're moving to part of the book uh, talking about the truth uh, and um, the most important part of that uh, uh,
2: of, of the truth is the focusing question i really like that concept of focusing question especially because if you've followed me
1: on social media, I've been talking about the art of asking questions, which is something that we're going to explore in the, um, the five-day Tariff for Business Challenge. The questions you ask totally shape your life and what you do. So the quality of an answer is directly determined by the quality of the question. And so um, the author encourages us
2: to ask the right question to unlock our potential. And there's a a really nice little quote that he puts in by Voltaire that says, judge a man by his questions, not his
1: answers. So research apparently shows that asking questions improves learning and performance by as much as 150%. That really stayed with me. That's quite a, a, quite, um, um, a statistic. So how we phrase the questions we ask ourselves determines the answer that eventually shape our lives. So the question that the author encourages us to ask all the time is, what is the one thing that I can do so that, so that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? And the whole idea is that um, our path to success is like a domino Uh, you know how the the domino effect works. Is that you push one small domino and it pushes all the others and and so on and so forth. So the idea is you wanna make sure that you do the one thing, the one domino that is gonna have the biggest leverage to get the needle moving on whatever big project or big um, goal that you have, okay? But then it's not just the question that's important. Um, Number two, is getting the right answer. And so he creates a quadrant, and I don't know if it's by him or if he took it from someone else, where there is um, different types of answer that you can give. On the left, upper left is big and broad, on the upper right is big and specific, on the lower left is small and broad, and on the lower right, small and specific. And you can imagine that it's the big and specific that he wants us to, um, to aim for. So that, and he gives an example. And I'm going to give you that example because it's an important one to understand the niceties and the, the subtlety of, of how to ask questions and how to give great answers. I think this is really, really essential to our entire life. Uh, we should always ask questions. And I remember in school, I used to ask questions all the time. I was always a student that put their hands up. And I felt sometimes I was annoying teachers, but actually, it looks like I was on the right track because that increased my learning by 150%. (laughs) Um, So big and broad would be, what can I do to double my goals? Big and specific would be, what can I do to double the sales in six months in my business? Small and broad would be, what can I do to increase sales? And small and specific, what can I do to increase sales by 5% this year? Okay, so that, you can fit that in the
2: little quadrants. um, um, If you read the book, He has a diagram in there that will show you very clearly how it looks. And so great answers and great questions live in
1: that upper right quadrant. Um, And what he says, it's also important to stretch us beyond what you think is possible. And I have some great examples in this respect. Three of them I want to mention to you. In 20. Uh, In 2012, I pitched an agent, literally on an impulse. And if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you understand that I'm not an impulsive person, but actually impulse has been, um, you know, um, essential on my journey of intuition. Because if I get an impulse, because it's not in my nature, then I know that something big is at stake. So I signed up literally an agent, a literary agent for my first book on an impulse in 2012. I didn't think it was possible, and I signed that agent. Um, And then last year, I managed to sign uh, Gay Hendrix as a guest on my podcast, which I thought was impossible, but I got the impulse, and I acted on it. Uh, I managed to silence my mind that it's not possible. And then literally last week or two weeks ago, I signed myself on someone's podcast that is in the top 1% podcast in the world. And I did that again from an impulse, but I, my, my mind, my critical mind was screaming at me that it was impossible, but I did it anyway. And I literally had an answer within minutes and it was a yes. So it's important to stretch yourself beyond what you think is possible. The third, um, the third truth from this, um, this, this part of the book is talking about living by priorities and to set goals so I resisted setting goals for the longest of time, because as a perfectionist, I was always setting goals that were too ambitious. And of course, I never met them. And because of that, I beat myself up about not meeting them. And it was this almost vicious circle that made me feel even more of a failure than I felt before I started setting goals. So I resisted setting goals for that, the longest of time until I worked with a lovely planning coach that helped me to set more realistic goals. And the way to do it is to literally try to find out where you wanna be in five years time, bring it to three years, bring it to one year, bring it to three months, then to 30 days, then weekly, then today. Um, This is so important and it doesn't mean that the the goals are gonna be set in stone, but unless you have a long-term vision, then you will not get anywhere because um, we live our lives are full of to-do lists that are not structured, not prioritized. And, it, it, and it's, it's actually, it derives from Steve Covey's book about the seven habits of highly effective people who, um, I mean, that book I'll probably review as well because I think uh, as an entrepreneur, it's a super important book. Uh, but he has another quadrant himself that shows that unless you have some priorities Uh, long-term and that that ties in with what I was saying earlier about the fact that uh willpower requires you to it it requires a lot of willpower sorry to put long-term goals over short-term goals and also very often to put your own priorities above other people's priorities especially if you're people pleaser so it's kind of interesting how this one thing book ties in with the better than before if you haven't read either of these books then um maybe go and explore them. Uh, If you don't get them from a library or buy yourself a a copy. I know I don't have time to read books much and that's why I actually welcome this opportunity to review a book a month because it forces me to actually finish books and read them for you. Uh, I find that audiobooks are really easy uh, in that respect because they can be fit around doing the grocery shopping and we're talking about multitasking but we're not talking about major multitasking and I know that if I, if I listen to an audio book and there's a bit that I know I want to take notes and I'm doing my grocery shopping, I'll just pause the book, do whatever I have to remember that I need to do, and then I just go back and sometimes maybe I'll listen, continue listening in the car. It's not good for taking notes, but since I've done an excerpt of these books for you already, you already have some virtual notes. So what the book is going to do is just, uh, if you go and listen to it as an audio, it's going to expand your uh, understanding of what I've summed up for you. Truth number four, live for productivity. Now, there was a little resistance in me about that point because I also believe that um, we are far—we're pushed too much by society to be productive rather than to be. Um, but um, I like the quote at the start of that chapter that said, my goal is no longer to get more done, but rather to have less to do. And um, the author talks
2: about something super important that has made an incredible difference in my business when I started implementing. And what that is, is time blocking. When you want to make sure that you do
1: something, you need to time block the important things first thing in the morning. And a good example is this podcast. I had a bit of a disruption in my usual podcast recording because normally I record it first thing uh, at seven o'clock in the morning before everybody wakes up in the house so I know it's done. That's the one thing. My podcast is probably the only thing that I've kept going no matter what even through the past six months of uh, turbulence in my private life but last night one of my child was uh, unwell and they came to sleep with me and then they were in the room and because my office is attached to my um, my bedroom you might have seen the little video that I did on my profile on Facebook where I shared my, my office with you and, and the special things that I have lying around. So I didn't feel that it was a good idea to record my podcast with a child sleeping in the room that was coughing because they were unwell and also waking them up. So I am now recording this podcast at 11 o'clock, which is really late for me in the day. And the other reason why I like to record it at 7 a.m., Uh, every Monday is because it's the quietest time of the day. Uh, There are not, the other people in the house are not uh, um, awake, so they're not likely to make noise and to impact on the sound of this recording. Uh, So it's not gone too bad considering it's 11.40 now. I don't think I've had too much interference uh, noise wise, but there's always a risk that one of my children is gonna just come into the bedroom uh, because they don't remember that I'm recording. So just just a small warning. So time blocking, because that's the illustration I was going to tell you. The only time I don't do my podcast first thing in the morning is if I have a guest, because very often guests are in different time zones. So it can be 11 in the morning, later in the day, sometimes even in the evening. So Monday is podcast day. Uh, and, but if it's already in the diary, it's the time blocked. Then I know that I'm going to get to it. It's not something that I'm going to push um, until the next day. I don't know why there's this thing in me, my podcast, if it doesn't come out on a Monday, then the world will fall apart. (laughs) I know it won't, (laughs) but there's that commitment for me to you listeners that you will get a new episode every Monday. So you need to, especially if you work for yourself as an entrepreneur, you need to time block your week. And of course, the large time blocks that are the most important are the morning ones. And that's something that actually can, uh, could be useful for managers or people in higher position, but they probably know that already, is that if you want to be able to progress the one big thing, then you need to time block the whole morning to do just the one thing. And then you can have all the social time and everything in the afternoon. That actually translates as well to social media quite well, because social media is one of these things. If you run your business on social media, which is an amazing thing. I was only talking to a friend the other day about what it was pre-social media to run a business. And it was much more disruptive, much more harder. uh, Because um, social media has made it so easy to have free clients, free leads. Just from being, you know, um, helpful and interacting with other people, getting into groups. Facebook groups are amazing to run a business, whether it's your own or somebody else as long as they allow you to promote. Um, But if you don't put what's important to do on social media first thing in the morning, that's what I do, I have my power hour for social media, it's actually a power half hour, where I post in my group, on my page, on LinkedIn, and in one main business group that I'm in. Once I've done that, it's blocked, then I move on to the, the three priorities of the day. And then if I can do anything extra after lunch in the afternoon, that's what I do. And that's when I do my social scrolling, so to speak, or my social media, my more social aspect of social media. So it's really important to schedule and protect what you've scheduled. It's so easy just to cancel an agreement. Um, sorry, cancel an appointment because it's in your diary, but it's to yourself. And I know that this is something that a lot of my clients or generally people struggle when they block time to write their books, and then there's always something that comes in that um, demands more attention from them than this long-term goal. However, you can only write a book if you're serious about it, if you schedule it, if it's first thing in the morning, preferably, and if you protect uh, that time block, okay? Then uh, the author talks about the three commitments. Now, let me see what this, because I have quite a lot of notes. Uh, hang on a minute. Um, so, master of what you know. No, I'm getting a bit lost in my, in my, uh, in my notes about the three commitments. Let me have a look at the book itself. That's the beauty of having notes and having the book in front of me. Uh, Yeah, okay, so follow the path of mastery, move from E to P and live the accountability cycle. So when when he says, follow the path of mastery, it's because you only become a master of what you focus on, the one thing that you really push through the limits. And I think that um, for me, since I've decided to focus my business exclusively on intuition, I have become much more of a master of my intuition than I was before, because I constantly research it, I talk about it with, uh, with people, I work on it with clients, and I just pay attention. And it's become my almost like my special interest, being autistic. That's something that autistic people speak a lot about. And maybe that's why autistic entrepreneurs can make amazing entrepreneurs is because we, we know how to obsess about, about the one thing. okay? And it's the idea that, you know, and I, I, I really want to hammer this in your head, though, is that the path of intuition is a path of mastery. Uh, I did actually a Facebook Live, uh, and I don't know if it was on my page or in my group where I said, you know, just because you make a mistake with your intuition, do not conclude that it means that you're not intuitive. Intuition is something that you master. It's a way of thinking, it's a journey, and, it's, uh, and there's so much to learn about it.
2: The same thing will apply to your one thing. You know, it's the same thing as people who become really proficient at the piano. They might have been gifted, but if you don't practice,
1: and if you don't commit to it, Commit to the mastery, then your gift will go to um, will not be uh, fruitful. It will not lead to anything special. I still remember actually talking about this with one of the students in my language school, because when I uh, I studied at university back in Paris, I did a double degree, uh, one in law and one in translation and interpretation. And there was this guy who was the son of a Spanish uh, mum, I think and a French um, yeah, french speaking dad, but he also lived all over the world. So he was fluent in English. So he was trilingual from almost from birth. And I kept on telling him how jealous I was of all the, you know, the gift that he had for languages, because I had to learn each languages with sweat and blood. I still remember. Uh, although I do love learning languages, don't get me wrong, but I learned Spanish when I was nine years old. I was just thrown into the deep end by my parents who sent me in a family for a whole month. And I had to learn every single word by heart. It was not an easy process. Uh, it, it requires, languages require mastery. They require practice uh, on, you know, you practice your accent as well. I remember spending hours in the language lab, having to listen to my voice and hating every minute of it. That's what mastery does, okay? Now, the second thing here is they talk about is moving from E to P. And I found that super, uh, super fascinating. So E stands for entrepreneurial, whereas P stands for purposeful. And I suppose you could change E for P um, for other letters, but I'm going to stick with what they say in the book. And they say that there's a plateau that you reach if you are entrepreneurial. So what they mean by entrepreneurial is someone who tries... Um, things, um, you know, a bit randomly. So they say that if you approach uh, anything by, uh, with the E um, attitude, something that comes naturally to you, you'll come at a point where you hit a ceiling, you'll be disappointed, you resign yourself, then you choose something else, and then the cycle continues. So you never actually go past that plateau. Whereas for them, aiming for purpose means that you're just not going to go the entrepreneurial way. What you're going to do is you're going to look at what other people have done that have had the result that you want to have. So you don't rely naturally on what you can do on your own. I think he makes also a big case for hiring a coach, and I can vouch for that. It's really made a huge difference in my business. Um, But if you go from E to P, if you're more focused, then you will go past, you will be able to pierce through your natural ceiling of achievement because you'll have focus, you'll have models, you'll have systems, and it will enable you to break through
2: the natural barrier of your upper limit. And I think that's a great way to look at things. Now the last truth, and it looks like I'm gonna have to sum things up a little bit because we're nearly on the hour, in 10
1: minutes, and I don't want this to be too long. Is to live the um, accountability cycle because what you do affects what you get and what you get affects what you do so it's about absorbing setbacks and to keep going and I think that's probably the one thing that's put me off in the spiritual community so much when I was navigating in it because um, you may know but I've spent fifteen years in the corporate world in a really logical you know uh, left minded um, mentality or or world. Uh, And then I explored the uh, spiritual world for 15 years. And what really got my goat when I was in the spiritual world navigating in there is that at the first small obstacle, these spiritual people said, oh, it wasn't meant to be. And I never saw things like that. I always thought, no, okay, why should I just, you know, in a way, the universe, if you believe in the universe or something bigger than you, they're going to test how bad you want something, they're going to test your resolve. And it's not so much a test as a trust in your commitment to what you're doing. Because I actually believe to get great results, you have to have a great commitment. So that means that you have to keep going sometimes when you don't want to, and you have to push. Now it's a different thing if you had like a series, like 15 obstacles, and there were constantly obstacles coming your way. Then I understand you could say, Oh, oh hang on a minute. Maybe there's something out of alignment. Maybe I need to go for something else. But it, don't give up at the first obstacle. You know, that's just not how it works, okay? What they also say in the book, and I didn't know that, is that your 39.5, apparently it must be a study for to have that sort of um, uh, percentages, uh, of your goals are more likely to be uh, reached if you write them down. And then there's 76.7 percent, the more likely to be reached, again, if you talk to someone about it, if you have an accountability partner, or if you hire a coach. That's where we got to. I'm going to skim through the the four thieves really quickly, because as I said, I don't want this, um, this episode to be too long. The inability to say no. In order to say yes to something, you have to say a thousand no to other things. And I like the example that they give of Steve Jobs when he came back to Apple after his stay in Pixar. Uh, he took Apple from 350 products to only 10. That's amazing, if you think about it. And he had to say no a lot. And he probably wasn't very popular for that. The second thief is the fear of chaos. And it's true. I was just reflecting on that. My my office was a bombsite. I decided to give it a good tidy yesterday. But because I was focusing uh, on launching this new challenge, creating this new course, et cetera, Things got a bit out of hand but if you value um, order like your house being clean or tidy and we all know that there's such thing as procrastinating cleaning uh spending a lot of time tidying your house because you don't actually want to do the things that you're supposed to do the, the third thief is poor health habit and I, I'm so glad they put that in their book because once you lose your health honestly um you're gonna regret it, it's gonna impact everything else. So having your health on, on the top of your radar and making sure that you have enough rest, that you have the right nutrition and that you exercise enough is super important. I have seen so many lawyers who were brilliant but completely neglected their bodies and then it catches up with you at some point. You go into burnout, once you're in burnout, it takes you two, it can take you two to three years to get back on track, you don't wanna risk that. You want to take those, you know, that half hour a day or that maximum hour a day to look after yourself. And then the last one, which I found really interesting as well, is to make sure your environment supports your goals. So and the the good example, I think it was actually on a podcast that I heard that. It's funny how sometimes you read a book and then a podcast adds to it and then your own experience. It's almost like the universe wants to sort of, you know, follow your focus. And they were saying, if you want to make sure that you drink, you know, your litre of water a day, and I, I don't have that as my goal, but it's true that it's important to keep hydrated, then having a glass of water on your desk is going to help for that because it's there. You don't have to go all the way to the kitchen to get it. You've got it ready to go whilst you're working, and all you need to do is sip, sip through it. So it's important to pay attention to your environment to make sure that your environment is conducive to whatever you want to achieve, Okay. There was one thing that was quoted in the book that I found really interesting, and I, I can see the logic behind it. I'm not going to expand on it because um, it, it would be it would take too long. But it says that if one of your friends becomes obese, there's 57% more likely that you will become obese yourself. And I can see that how that how can happen because if you if you spend a lot of time with them, then you will want to eat what they eat, and slowly and surely you'll get to a point where um, it's going to erode your own habits. Uh, one more quote that I really, really loved, and I don't even know who Lily Tomlin is, so uh, enlighten me by by any means. Uh, she's apparently an actress, but I've never heard of her. And she said, the road to success is always under construction. And I think that's so true. You know, um, it should be taken as an encouragement to keep going rather than being discouraged that you always have to work at it. But I think that um, that is a great quote. So I want you to come into the group today when you have listened to this uh, episode, whether it's today or any day of this week, and come and share with you what is the current action that you can take in your business to get you to your big goal in the next five years. Now, I want my big goal is to get to £10,000 a month of uh, revenue in my business in the next five years. So I'll be reflecting on that question. What is the one thing that I can do that can get me to that? Over to you, and then I'll see you again next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Bye for now.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Intuition Podcast. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, And if you haven't done it yet, write a review so that more listeners can enjoy this podcast. Don't forget to join my free group on Facebook, Business Intuition for Female Entrepreneurs. And go onto my website to download my free workbook on the four steps to trust your intuition in business. My website is theintuitionrevolution.co.uk.